0: Good. Hey, I wanted to tell you real quickly, um, you know, one of the things I love dearly about our church is that uh, we have so many young families that come here, and with a lot of young families comes a lot of young kids, and uh, I know that even last week and maybe this week, uh, some of you even got turned away from our, our kids' ministry because we were so full back there, and one of the ways that you can help is by volunteering with our kids' ministry. Um, that can look a lot of different ways, it can look like once a month. Uh, every other week or every week, and you can hold a door or you can hold a baby. How about that? Hold a door, hold a baby. If you're really adventurous, you can lead a fifth grade small group. Only do that if you're crazy. <laughs> but there's lots of different ways you can serve. So no, no pressure at all, but I did want to. I know that we were running into uh, overflow last week, so I want to make sure I take some time to talk about that, okay? All right, well, uh, we are in a series right now called What's the Point? And you know, the, the older I get, uh, the, the more I realize that the years move faster and faster. True. Seem to go by quicker and, and quicker. And uh, every January, about this time, I stop and I take inventory of my life. You can call it a New Year's resolution if you want, but really what we're doing is we're taking inventory. How is my life going How am I doing? What can I improve on? Where can I slow down? And at the root of that inventory is a question that we're always asking. And that question is this, am I doing anything significant with my life? In my day in and day out of of changing diapers and making dinners and going to work and hanging with family and hanging with friends, does my life have meaning? I think the only way to gauge whether your life has meaning is is if you know the meaning to life. And so that's why we're in this series where we're talking about why are you here? What is your purpose? I told you last week that my purpose and your purpose is really simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. It's to share hope with others to take the hope that God has given us and to share it with the people that we are connected with, our sphere of influence that God has given us. We are to share that hope of Jesus. It may not be what you expected to hear, it may not be what you wanted to hear, but it's truth. As a follower of Jesus, I can confidently put all of my energy into sharing the hope of Christ with other people, knowing that I will ultimately fulfill the reason I exist. My purpose, my purpose is not to, to stand on a stage, my purpose is not to be well-known or be a social media influencer or be the best at whatever it is that you do, but your purpose is to share hope with others in the name of Jesus. That's why it doesn't really matter if you're, you're a plumber or a real estate agent or a salesman or, or a stay-at-home parent, go, go do what you want to do. Go do what you are gifted at doing, what you like to do. Just remember that Colossians says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus. In other words, whatever you choose to do in life, go live your life, but whatever you choose to do in life, do it in a way that shares hope with others. It's really not about what we are doing, it's about how we are doing it that we find purpose. I don't know about you, but but when I hear that, I get some relief, because, because that means that I don't have to be perfect. It means that I don't have to be the best. All it means is that if I just take the, 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 the people that I'm connected with, the influence that God has given me, and I choose to share hope, then I will find meaning and significance. And by the way, because we're selfish and we're always asking the question, what's in it for me? This is the only way that you will find fulfillment in life. It won't be through relationships or a job or money. The only way you'll find true fulfillment is when you're doing what you were created to do. And so that's our individual purpose. That's my purpose. That's your purpose in life. And then you bring the church in, you bring this whole deal into it, and this whole thing should equip and encourage you to go do what you were created to do. Like, you should leave here every Sunday feeling more equipped and more encouraged to live your life. If you just come here on Sundays and you watch me sweat up here and and you get a donut and I watch you sweat eating that donut and we watch your kids for an hour, then we're missing it. We're missing it. You should leave here every Sunday feeling more equipped, as Ephesians 4.12 tells us, than before you came in. And so because of that relationship where this is a community of people that equips and encourages one another, and your purpose in life is to go share hope, then I think, personally, it becomes very obvious to me what the vision of the church should be. And so I showed you Last week, let's throw it up there, a community of Jesus followers committed to sharing hope both locally and around the world. And that's a vision, that's a new vision for our church. Um, but if you're anything like me, sometimes you, you take this phrase, sharing hope, and you, you think maybe that's a little over-spiritual, maybe it's a little churchy. What, what exactly does that mean? Sometimes it creates more questions and answers, and that's where I get really, really passionate about our mission statement because I think our mission statement brings clarity around what it looks like to share hope with other people. And so our mission statement, meeting emotional, practical, and spiritual needs in the name of Jesus, because I believe that the greatest way that you can share hope is by meeting people where they're at and meeting their needs, whatever that looks like. And so today I wanna take some time and I wanna talk about our emotional needs. And I wanna talk about how God meets our emotional needs and how we can meet the emotional needs of other people. So there was this man named Abraham Maslow who in 1943 published a work that we know as Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And in his work, he described the basic needs that every human being has to live a happy and healthy life. And in his publication, there was a category of emotional needs, that we all have these emotional needs that need to be met. Now, later on, in later years, him and his team decided that there were nine basic emotional needs. And, And since then, it's been confirmed and and praised by psychologists all over the world that this is true. Now, if you ask any psychologist today, they'll tell you there is one emotional need that reigns over all of the other ones, and it's the emotional need of being seen. You need to be seen, to live a happy and healthy life, to experience ultimate fulfillment, to, to experience the fulfillment of knowing why you, Exists. you need to be seen. That's just science in psychology, right? So that's not, I'm not touching the word of God yet. I'm not into scripture. That's just science. And so you may believe this whole Jesus thing is a crock and this church thing is really cheesy and weird. That's just science. That's true whether you believe in Jesus or not. You have a need to be seen to be known. And what I love more than anything is when I come across truth in science and it calls out something that God said was true thousands of years prior. Because before Abraham Maslow was born, 4,000 years before he was born, there was a woman named Hagar who gave God a name and she gave him the name El Rohi. Everybody say El Rohi. And it means the God that sees you the God that knows you. We serve a God that meets our emotional needs by seeing us and knowing you and seeing your victories and your losses and your pain and your grief. And so I wanted to show you a a passage and tell you a story of where this plays out. And so you'll find it in Genesis 16. Let me tell you, a little bit of a backstory though. Um, there was uh, Abraham and Abraham uh, was meeting with God and God gives him a vision and tells him, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. And so this is what God is telling Abraham and uh, so it was through the, the lineage, the descendants of Abraham that the Israelites would be born. It was through his descendants, the lineage that Christ would be born. And so God gives Abraham this promise. Now here's what happens. Abraham and Sarah try for 10 years to have a baby and it, it doesn't work. And so they become Impatient, and Sarah comes to Abraham and she tells him, "Hey, since I can't have a baby, I think you should take my slave girl Hagar, have a baby with her." Because they were becoming impatient, they were becoming, uh, they were uh, restless that they wanted to see God's promise fulfilled so they came up with their own plan this was not God's plan this was Sarah's plan and so Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham and Hagar becomes pregnant now when Hagar is carrying the heir of Abraham all of a sudden she has leverage she's no longer a slave girl she has she's carrying the heir she has leverage and she starts to treat Sarah very poorly and Sarah's plan backfires And so because her plan did not work, she goes to Abraham and the Bible says that she says to Abraham, this is all your fault. I'm just gonna leave that there. (laughs) My plan did not work, this is all your fault. And so Abraham tells Sarah, she's your slave, you do what you want and Sarah banishes her. And that's where we pick up in Genesis 16, okay? Okay. So read this with me, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Then skip the verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that's where she gives God the name El-Rohi. And so you have Hagar in the middle of the desert when an angel of the Lord, which is another name for Jesus pre-incarnate, that meets her there and he has a question for her. Christ asked her the question, Where have you come from? Now you have to understand that where you came from was more than just a question about your location. It was a question about your identity. Where you came from was who you were. It was not just Hagar. It was Hagar, a slave girl from Egypt. It was Abraham, a father from Canaan. Elijah, a prophet from Gilead. Jesus, a teacher from Nazareth. Paul, a missionary from Tarsus. In other words, what Christ is asking her here is how do you see yourself? Tell me about the identity that you see in yourself. Define yourself for me. And she answers, I am a slave girl that is running away. And in just one sentence, we see everything that we need to know about how she sees herself. She's the lowest in society. Her identity is what others think of her. She doesn't have a home of her own. She's worthless, abused, objectified, scared, hurt, and insecure. And Christ tells her, I will bless you I'm not just gonna give you any blessing. I'm gonna give you a blessing that's reserved for God's chosen. You will have more descendants than you can even count. Why would God choose to bless a slave girl? Nobody in her status got this type of blessing. Let me tell you, because God did not see her the way that she saw herself. She saw a slave girl. He saw a daughter of the king created in the image of God. He saw her pain, but he did not see her as her pain. He saw her as someone worthy of a blessing. Look, this is the only thing that I came to tell you today, okay? God does not see you the way that you see yourself. He sees you. He sees everything about you but he does not see you the way that you see yourself. I'm asking you the question today, how do you see yourself? Where did you come from? A divorce? An addiction? A depression? Anxious, insecure, shameful, fearful, unworthy? Unqualified? Not enough. I think self-awareness is a great thing. You should be self-aware. You do need a mint. Your pants are too tight. You're talking way too much. But self awareness will only get you so far because the question is are you spiritually aware? Self awareness tells you what others think about you. Being spiritually aware shows you what God thinks about you, shows you how He sees you. And listen to me God does not see you the way that you see yourself. He sees you as a son, as a daughter of a child of the Most High, enough to die for, worthy of a blessing, provision, protection, because we serve El-Rohi, the God that sees you, sees you. Now look at this. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Look at that. You are the one who sees me, for I have now seen the one who sees me. You see, the revelation for Hagar is not that God saw her. The revelation was that she saw the God that saw her. She finally sees the God that sees her and sees her the way that he sees her. See, freedom is not found from God seeing you. If that was the case, we'd all be walking in freedom. Freedom from shame, freedom from fear, freedom from insecurity or self-loathing is not found from God seeing you. It comes from us finally seeing God, the God that sees us. It comes from us recognizing the way that God sees us, believing the way that God sees us. That's why I was telling a friend this week, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, affirmations that you write on an index card, and reminding yourself daily of all the things God says about you because I think it's a powerful way to transform your life by the renewing of your mind. That's where true freedom is found when we see the God that sees us, when we really begin to understand, I am a child of the Most High. So listen, this is one of the ways that God meets our emotional needs by seeing us. But you have a calling on your life. You were created to meet the emotional needs of other people by giving people hope by meeting their emotional needs. It's what uh, Colossians 3.16 says, let the message about Christ, which is hope, in all of its richness, fill your lives so that you can teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. It's the same verse that he's talking about in Romans when he says you should receive the hope that God has given you and overflow that hope so that others may see the work of God in your life. Can I tell you today that one of the best ways that you can meet somebody's emotional needs is by seeing them. See them, but don't just see them See them the way that God sees them. Jesus modeled this perfectly for us. He's walking along the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers, Simon, Peter, and Andrew. He saw them. The Bible says he saw them fishing. But he didn't see them the way that everybody else saw them. They were poor, they were fishermen, they were uneducated, but God saw leaders because he's El-Rohi. The God that sees them. He was walking in a town when he saw a blind man. He saw him. He noticed the blind man. The same blind man that was sitting there day after day. People walked by all the time. He stopped and he saw him, but he didn't see him the way that others saw him. He was poor. He was a beggar. He was homeless, but God saw somebody worthy of a healing. He's on his boat and he sees the crowd. He sees the crowd but he didn't see them the way that everybody else saw them. They were outcasts, they were marginalized, but he saw people without a a shepherd and he had compassion on them. Who is in your life today that you see all of the time, but that you really need to start seeing? Because listen, they're, 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 they're not just an employee, a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, they are a son and daughter of the king. God sees them. The question is, do you see them? The greatest way that he shows people, he is El-Rohi, the God that sees them is through you. It is through you. You are God's plan A, there is no plan B. And so the question is, are you wanting to be a part of what he is doing? Are you willing to take the blinders off and start seeing people, really seeing people the way that God sees them. Every, uh, I'm almost done here, every every week I wanna show you a video of how I feel like this is being exemplified in our church by our church family. And so I wanted to show you this video of my friends Ashley and Brandon and what God did in their life. And what I want you to listen for is all the times they talk about somebody else speaking life into them, somebody else noticing their marriage, somebody else encouraging them and see that they did not do this alone. Watch this video.
1: A couple of years ago, I think it was back in 2020, we were having a lot of marital issues. A girlfriend of mine, recommended that we go and see Brian at the healing place. We decided to make an appointment and uh, it was right before COVID hit. So we didn't get to, we had one meeting and kind of lost track with, you know, the world shutting down and everything like that. And things kind of got put on the back burner.
2: Yeah, I guess about a year later or so, we had a catastrophic event happen in our marriage that uh, pretty much, crumbled it uh it, it was to the point where we were it was it was, it was done yeah we were a done deal she had actually made an appointment to go see Brian again and uh, said that she was she was
1: going there I actually made the appointment with Brian to figure out how to tell our kids like we were done and um I guess God works in mysterious ways and I had made an appointment for that Tuesday and I asked him if he wanted to come And um, that's when we went. We told Brian what had happened. And he basically walked us through everything, kind of normalized feelings and fears and situations that um, he's heard about. And we weren't the only ones.
2: I guess after kind of really digging, you know, for a little bit and and realizing how much work, you know, needs to be done, you know, individually and, and together. You know, we decided to uh, to work it out and start start putting in the hard work.
1: I mean honestly the first six months I think were a blur. there was a lot of prayer. there was um, I mean homework counseling.
2: I don't think there was a, a, a big like aha moment and I think it was a gradual kind of deal. I mean I don't I don't feel like either one of us wanted it to be over like we knew we still did love each other, but I think it, it just it took a lot of workforce to stay together.
1: Community was huge for us. If it wasn't for my friend referring us to the healing place, I mean, we would have never have met Brian. Having that third partner there in your marriage that's not biased, um, that'll shoot you straight, direct you, Mm -hmm. um, de-escalate any kind of argument or situation, I mean, that was a big one. Getting around some other people
2: kind of in the same situation that has gone through, you know, the same I guess things that you're going through. Whatever scenario and situation you can think of, somebody's gone through it and they're not that far off from each other.
1: It's so much easier to walk away, but if you're willing to fight the good fight, I mean it's
2: it's worth it for sure. It's
1: worth it, yeah.
2: I mean you got you got married for a reason, you know, you, you didn't get married because you didn't love each other. You know, it's you just need to need some help on getting back, you know, to there
0: good story and praise God for their marriage and praise God that they were able to find healing and praise God they weren't alone but listen to me I want you to hear what they're saying the reason that their marriage was transformed the reason they were able to change is because they had people around them that were that were calling out God sees you God knows you there is hope. When they saw a catastrophic marriage, their friends saw hope. When they saw a marriage collapsing, their counselor saw hope. When they saw hell, their friends saw hope. And I'm telling you, you can be a part of someone's life like that as well if you start seeing people the way that God sees them. That is what the church looks like for us to become the hope of the world. Can you imagine what Argyle and Denton County would look like if just everybody in this room started seeing the people that were in their lives? He is El-Rohi, the God that sees, and he wants to use you. If you're new here, this is our heart at Cross Timbers, to see people that feel unseen. And I want to invite you to be a part of it. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much that you are El-Rohi. You are the God that sees us. I just pray that you'd give us the eyes of Christ. Give us the eyes of Christ where we see people that, that otherwise we might walk by every single day, but we see them and not just see them, but see them the way that you see them. So God, we praise you. We ask us to use us in Jesus' name, amen.